All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. I am your host, Misha Aravena, and today we're going to be talking about something that's really, really interesting and hits home. We're going to be talking about the arts and having a career in this crazy business that we call show. But before we begin, let me introduce my panel. I have Mr. Andrew Stupart. Say hello. Always happy to be on with you, Misha. Awesome stuff. And Alex cannot join us today because he's off making uh, making bread. He's off working. But we have one of our first guests on the lockdown lowdown here. His name is Jake Offen. He is a fellow graduate of the University of Houston, our alma mater. Jake, say hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Awesome. Um, one of the first guests. I feel so honored. Thank you. You are, actually, I think you're the very first guest. The first guest. Oh. You're the first guest. Nike. Yeah. Are you allowed to are you allowed to swear on this podcast? Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> yes, you oh, are. Oh cool. Okay, good. Because otherwise, there's going to be <laughs> lots of editing. <laughs> and you know what? Before we start, I just want to say because I think this is a cool bit of uh, bit of trivia. So Jake is in Denver. Uh, Andrew is in Toronto, and I'm over here in Ireland. So we're in three different countries in three different time zones, and we're making this work, which I think is really cool. There it is. But anyway, so yes, we are talking about the arts today and we're gonna concentrate on two specific questions. How we got into show business, what inspired us to get in it? How did we feel when we were first brought into this profession? And then the second main topic question, fast forward maybe 10, 15, 20 years later for some of us. And basically how do we feel about it now, where are we with it in our lives? How have our perspe uh, perspectives changed? So, Mr. Jake Offen, I'm going to start with you because you are our honored guest today. So I'm going to ask oh, you, thank you. Yeah. maybe how old were you? What got you into this business? What was the driving force? You know, did, did anyone ever tell you maybe not to, to do this? What made you want to become an actor? Because you're an actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm an actor. I've been doing this. You know, I started, like most people, like super young in school, um, silly school plays, dressed as a, a teddy bear or some bullshit. <laughs> um, um, but I do remember, like, when I got the hook, I, uh, you know, I was, um, I couldn't leave it. It was in sixth grade, and it was a production. All right, sorry about that, guys. There's a car. Um, it was a production of a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Oh, nice. And again, really silly. Um, but uh, I played King Arthur and I, and I just felt on top of the world because I got a titular role, you know? So <laughs> you were the star. I, uh, I was the star. Um, no, the, the star was the Connecticut Yankee. I was, I was the backup, but I stole the show, don't you worry. Um, yeah so you know that's that's how it started with school and stuff and then i started getting into like um forensics in high school like speech and debate and they had um dramatic interpretation as one of their categories um and so it was a chance to perform for people that were outside of our, our direct community and we had competitions and so it really drove the competitive nature of it, um, wanting to be the best that I could be and, and show off, and you know, and and then, and in a lot of ways that was good. Uh, it made me better. It made me it exposed me to what theater really was and what acting really was. Um, and you know, that's good and bad. The competitive nature, it, it, because it really kind of it was deeply embedded in me for a long time that acting the acting world is competitive and and um, i think we'll maybe get into this but a side note i think that that's a big problem in in that profession people are um, cutthroat people are competitive and while it can offer some sort of drive to be the best that you can be it can also be really destructive as far as the relationships that you build and the art that you can possibly make because really it's all about the collaboration and you know what uh, you bring up actually i'm going to interrupt you for just a quick second one thing that this pandemic that i don't miss that made me realize is going into the audition room and waiting with all the other actors all mm -hmm. the other actors that are up for the same role you are 
they all look like you and you're all nervous right. too nervous to talk to each other. the waiting room right i do not miss that at all but anyway i just wanted to put that out there continue James. yeah so yeah so um it, it's it was good and it was it was a little dangerous um that changed but that's to come so <laughs> after high school i was accepted to the um, american academy of dramatic arts in new york city Ooh. uh went there for a little while we call those actor factories because they're very short programs but they are um, they really teach you the basics um like the good strong basics it gives you a really good foundation yeah of, of what it means to be um to tell the story and how to use your instrument. Um, so and that was cool. I was 19 in, in New York City. And so not only was I discovering myself as an actor, but I was like <laughs> discovering what it meant to be in the big city and how cool it was and how, how terrifying it was. It was it was exhilarating. I remember I, I lived in like four different places within six months. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. And this one place I was I was squatting in, it was a, a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever. And um, they had in their apartment, which was a, a co-op. So they owned, you know, their apartment they owned. And so everyone kind of had say in the building. They were able to agree with everyone to let me stay in one of the vacant apartments for a couple of weeks while I got some stuff figured out. And one day the electric company came by and um, apparently you're not supposed to let them in the building. <laughs> you're not when you're in new york and they come buzzing on your buzzer you're not supposed to let the electric company in you guys just so you know if you're in new york listening to this do not let people you don't know <laughs> into the building. that's our um, american audience out there yeah. yeah uh anyways i let them in they shut off the electricity in this place i was staying in so i was like living by on candles and a battery battery powered radio for two weeks and a couple of blankets in the middle of New York City. It was insane and awesome and uh, glorious. But then I ended up leaving because after a while, that's only glorious for so long, you know, yeah. um, that it becomes quite trying. I moved uh, back to my other home, which is Phoenix, Arizona, where my dad was. My best friend from high school ended up lived with her for a while. And I found like this really cool underground art scene, um, visual arts and music and calories and it was just a really different experience and it was outside of the acting world and it gave me a, a much more i think a lot more depth as an artist and um how art is experienced both performance and visual the whole thing it was because, deeper um, than what you anticipated oh it was far yeah. deeper and i learned yeah. so much more about myself um because it wasn't just acting and my identity wasn't just about being an actor suddenly uh, my identity was you know it was a part of so many other things and uh i i met some of my best friends in, in that in that time um whom which of whom i moved with back to denver uh after a while to kind of pursue the same stuff um promoting bands and making um these collaborative events where we'd have like graffiti artists and djs and performance artists sort of all in the same space I'm making this um, really unique experience. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, I really missed, I missed theater too. Um, so eventually when I ended up, uh, I ended up in a place and community that's a little bit outside of Denver. It's called Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, the Colorado State University is there. Also nearby is the University of Northern Colorado, which is where I ended up going for my undergraduate degree. They have an amazing performance art performing arts program, both for musical theater and um, we call it straight theater. But it sounds a little I just heteronormative acting. to me. It's, <laughs> I guess the program, the acting program where people yeah. have to be actors. Yeah. At the same time, while I was doing that, I, um, I landed a gig with uh, the theater that I was working with when I first got to Fort Collins, they're my family, my soul. Like they're, I love them to pieces. Um, they really kind of showed me what it was to be a good actor and really good at, and proud of what you do. Yeah. And um, their name is Open Stage Theater and Company. In case y'all are out there and wanting to know. And they're still around. 
they're still around they've been around for 50 years um because they're that good um and they they just have they're a company they're a real company of artists so there's probably about i don't know 30 to 40 active company members every year and from that pool of talent we get our most of our actors and most of our um, scenic artists and um, but they're always opening it up to to new people. They're always accepting new people to come into the company, and it's not it's not um, hard. It's 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 open to new voices and new talent, and it's, it's just super cool. Anyways, uh, after acting with them a couple for a few years, I was hired to be part of the staff, and I ended up being a development like fundraising personnel and marketing and production management um, and that's where I got my chops like I was in New York and all and that was cool but like I got my chops with this um, really small regional theater and learned how to do everything and I had so many shows with them and I was doing that on top of going to my undergrad so it was a lot it was a whole lot yeah um yeah, uh, and and then it was grad school after that in Houston where I met Misha. Um, the University of Houston, the professional actor training program because it's yeah. super slick. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and I often wondered to myself, where was I busier? Was I busier in Fort Collins when I was doing undergrad and running a theater company? Or was I busier in grad school? And a lot of times I would say the, the former or the latter. Um, it was, it was, it was intense, but so was grad school in its own way. Obviously, it was it, yeah. it was um, rewarding, and it was also terrifying, traumatic. <laughs> the emotional part of, oh, uh, of so the graduate program. But Jake, yeah. I'm gonna uh, stop you there for a second because I'm gonna get back cool. to you with yeah. a question. I'm gonna hand sure. it over to Andrew for a second. So Andrew, tell us a little bit because you are behind the camera. A little bit and tell yeah. us maybe because we both had the same upbringing in high school yeah tell yeah. us how you kind of found your way and into ryerson eventually right right uh and thank you for that and thank you jake for that that story i mean that's such a rich history of, of you know working in your community working yeah. in, in and those are just the highlights <laughs> those are just the highlights and, that, and that's amazing so it's so cool to hear that journey and that you're still on that journey it's very very exciting for me Took very different shape. I mean, I grew up in Burlington, which is very much of a suburb, uh, along with Misha. Because you, how old were you when you came to Burlington, Misha? Uh, I was nine. Nine. Okay, so so you grew, you more, more or less like grew up like a good part of your life in Burlington. I grew up there as long as I can remember. I'm you know, and so when I was growing up, I dabbled in like different sports or different activities or whatever. And I remember going to an art class or whatever at, at, at summer camp. Or, and then eventually my, my mom um, enrolled my brother and I, my brother is two years younger than me into the arts camp program. Uh, and that's, that's actually where my career began because <laughs> I met Misha. Um, actually it was even prior to me, meeting Misha, 1998 was my first show. It was, um, Oh, I can't even remember. Was it not Streetcar? No. Um, what was Blood Brothers, show? right? No, no, no. What was? Huh? I don't remember the first show. But then after that, I did uh, Blood Brothers, which was this drum dramatic production. And then on my third year, Forty Second Street. Sorry. So it started off Forty Second Street. That was nineteen ninety eight. Forty Second Street. Okay. Blood Brothers ninety nine two thousand. I met Misha, and I was the leading player. Uh, sort of the narrator character and Misha was this little like 11 year old boy playing Pippin in, in, and this is an arts summer camp program one of some of the best summers of my life growing up just you know it's a two-week intensive program where you learn how to sing you learn how to dance you learn how to act um, and it's and it's two weeks to put on a production so it's very intense um, met Reiner Nowak for the first time, who is one of the, you know, one of the artistic leaders in Burlington running this, this program, not only in the summer, but in the fall. Um, I did the fall program for a couple of years, acted in West Side Story. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum, a classic 60s uh, comedy um, that's still performed today. And, uh, and then Bye Bye Birdie, which I didn't care for so much, but it was just fun being part of that because not only did I get to be and, you know, on stage, you know, singing and, and let me tell you, dancing, I have two left feet, definitely have two left feet. So I was a terrible dancer, terrible. And Misha, Misha can attest to the fact that I was a horrendous dancer. 
but it was fun because it was it was it was a program that built my leadership skills. It built my acting and, and, co- and overall confidence and, and sort of performance abilities. And on top of that, I did a lot of technical work behind the scenes, lighting, helping making the sets, um, you know, any sort of technical stuff behind the scenes as well. So that was a great experience. And um, it was part of that experience that, that, that propelled me forward into being uh, a television professional. Um, because a lot of the skills, you know, whether it's writing a play, if you can write a play, you can probably write a teleplay or a film uh, script, okay, like a screenplay. If you can uh, do lighting for a theater, you can probably do lighting on a, on a film set, right? So there were some transitionary skills that I was able to take over and, and, and bring with me into television. So, and I always did want to be, a, um, a, you know, a videographer, storyteller. And so I did four years at Ryerson. Um, working in now, for those who don't know out there, Ryerson University is one of the best theater and media arts programs in all of Canada. So, it's, I mean, that's a great school to get into. It is. It was. It's top notch, and I was very. I was dumbfounded. I was actually surprised I got in. I didn't think I got in when I had this interview with one of the profs during the process, but I got in, and um, I was very fortunate. I got to play. I got to play around with some state-of-the-art cameras. You know, HD TV was just becoming a thing at that time and becoming more mainstream. So, you know, being able to mess around with HD cameras, being able to work in the studio and in the field, um, being able to write, being able to just do some cool internships, um, and and just kind of in being part of that environment because you're behind the camera, but yes, you also get to deal with actors like yourselves, uh, with, with journalists, with um, people who are up and coming um, sports anchors, whatever. So it was a kind of a cool environment to be in, especially in Toronto, which as I mentioned before this recording started that Toronto's really the, the mini New York of the North of Canada. So I, I, I did all this cool TV stuff in um, Toronto, which is amazing, um, you know. And don't forget, we have TIFF in Toronto, Toronto International Film true. Festival, this is which is like TIFF, which is a renowned yeah film festival. So I've I've been there and done that and had a lot of opportunity to work behind the scenes in in in, in television. Um, but I I think I'm going to pose a question to you guys before before I I jump in because further. Um, so given that introduction, um, I want to ask you guys what, you, you know, you guys frame this, Misha, I guess just to say, Misha, you frame this as being about the arts, but I have to ask the bigger question, you know, what is art? And the reason I say that is because I remember being in second year university and the same teacher in first year who taught us all about screenwriting and how to build up characters and, and um, you know, and, and the story arts and all that. He taught me um, about, about advertising the next year because he this guy works as a professional um, writer, copywriter for ads, right? And he said, ads are not art. They're artistic and they're creative, but they're not art. They're made to sell. And I think by extension, I would say that television is not a pure art form. It's, it's a vehicle to sell products because what the people who are paying the bills are the advertisers. It's the Cokes, the McDonald's, the Nikes, and the IBMs, right? That are that are paying the way of these of the you know for these shows to exist. These you know actors cannot get paid, writers cannot get paid, producers do not take a home a paycheck if it's not for the advertisers paying the way. So I guess my question to you, Misha, and to Jake as well is, knowing that you guys have taken a more holistic approach in doing theater, which is a little bit more, um, I would consider you know, theater in some forms, at least to be a little bit more pure, whereas television is not as pure. So would you guys even qualify television as an art form? Uh, I'll just say quickly before I throw that question over to Jake, I've always been kind of taught, I've heard lots of artists say this, that the theater is more an actor's medium and television is more for a a director, the people behind the scenes. And the TV film work that I've done, I would actually say I agree. Because as an actor, I will go on set. This film I did just did just recently, I was on set for 14 hours. And I maybe worked, I would say, maybe 50 minutes of that 14-hour yeah. day. The rest was just waiting, waiting for shots. Yeah. But the people, the crew around me was constantly 
lifting yes. stock can go over there. They, yes. they are the true heroes behind the camera. Um, so I would say the theater is more for the actor. In terms of a, the pure art form though, I think art is idiosyncratic to the individual. I used to be a little bit more pretentious when I was younger, like, oh, you know, if I don't feel it in my heart or my gut, it's not real art. But now that I get uh, older, I've been fortunate enough to work with Disney and we do family entertainment. Yeah, it's, it's entertainment. It's not, That's what it is. It's not it's, super deep, but people love it. And, and to me, that is art. All the people singing, dancing, Broadway caliber voices, like yeah. that takes talent. So I would say art is idiosyncratic. And, and before I before I send it to Jake, because I'm sure Jake has a lot to say on this, I just wanted to differentiate. So I'm not saying television is entertaining. It's entertainment. Disney is entertainment. But when I think of art, I think of like, like before TIFF got really, really big, the, the Toronto International Film Festival, it was like those art films, right? Like those low budget art films where there's not like an executive producer who's like having to, you know, being puppeted by these advertisers or by these big corporate sponsors and stuff, stuff right? So Jake, Jake, I guess my question to you is like, how would you differentiate? Yeah. What's your definition of art? Oh man, okay. Definition of art. I see that's the that's the the catch, right? Is that art is subjective and is there a definition? I mean, you said it uh, for you, Misha, it's idiosyncratic to the person. And I think it's the same. I mean, I think that's the best way to put that is that it's really subjective and it's the art is an expression that's experienced by an audience, right? Or another person. Mm -hmm. Um, and whatever you, whatever you get out of that is whatever how that challenges challenges you emotionally or intellectually or, or whatever it causes that that it's a catalyst for an idea and, and I would say probably some sort of change a change yeah. within your cognition a change in the way you see your things of your perception and it it deepens your experience. And your relationship to other human beings. So on that, uh, I I would disagree that that um, television and commercials, etc., advertising even isn't an art form. Um, and I would say that it's a lot like what you're saying about film and TV production. You as an actor might not be the focus, and that's not necessarily uh, the sole part of the art it's one piece it's one moving piece of the wheel right like there's all these different things that are part of it and it's like you know what other metaphor can i use like one one crayon in the crayola box you know um to create a, an ultimate product but you know messaging there's messaging in all sorts of art you know? yeah. what, what is uh sorry you cut off a little bit just because of the wind there can you just say the last sentence again um, yeah, if I can remember what I just said. <laughs> um, uh, there's always some sort of message in art. And I think that's what makes art art, is that it's there's a message and it's effective. There's a voice behind it. And so perhaps that messaging might be buy this stuff, or perhaps that message might be pay attention to the politics like Brecht, you know, like look at the world around you and look at the social paradigm you're in, look at who has yeah. the power and watch out. There's danger right behind, you know, right behind I you. Would, what I'm going to you know. add to that too is in a thousand years from now, they can be making art in whatever technological form they've come up with. Mm -hmm. But if I don't get anything out of it, which is joy, sadness, fear, mm -hmm. happiness, any kind of human emotion, Mm -hmm. then I wouldn't classify it as good art. I have to feel mm -hmm. something when watching yeah. what, whatever I am, what, I am watching. What if, it's not, what if it's not just an emotional uh, catharsis, but it's some sort of intellectual challenge? Exactly, yeah, this... some kind of stimulation. If, if yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that that makes it uh, a really interesting conversation, obviously, because um, the result of the experience of art it's different for everybody and it's different per medium. It's different, uh, you know, how you experience it, where you experience it, the environment that you're in. Cause like when you look yeah. at theater, it's a very controlled environment. You're controlling time and space. You're controlling 
it's dark. We're all sitting in the dark, looking at one focal point, whatever focal point that the director wants to manipulate through lighting, through sound. Totally. What texture of sound. Um, And it's the same thing as something that's experienced outdoors, you know, or or how is that different? Or is it experienced, is it quickly? Or is it it prolonged, like quickly like advertisement? Or is it prolonged like like a really good film? Um, Right, so I think, I think what you're getting at, Misha and Jake, both of you, and you guys have made some really good points here, and you're actually making me get a little bit more intellectual and kind of expand my thinking around what is the definition of art. So I think this is a fantastic conversation. So I think for you guys, it's more about like what the user experiences. So that that user could be an audience in a theater. It could be someone sitting down with the popcorn and with their child watching a Disney cartoon for the first time. And, you know, maybe I have a child in the future and I'm showing them Bambi or or, or Aladdin or whatever right. for the first time. So I think there's like, you know, what you take out of it or even something like for me, I consider myself like I like cerebral documentaries. So maybe if I watch a documentary and I take away from that documentary some new information, a new perspective, a new philosophy, a new way of thinking, maybe that maybe it's about the experience. And, and if from you guys, it sounds like there's an experience that the actor is having, but there's also the experience of the patron. So I can see where you guys are coming yeah. from with that. And I think that, that you nailed it on the head there. And that's the most important thing about art is the experience that the, who the, the receiver is. Uh, data doesn't exist without an audience. It doesn't. Yeah. So oh. that's what I mean. The pandemic, a big problem of that is we've been challenged to look at and be innovative with how it's experienced because it we shut down because the only way we know how to deliver that experience is through drawing people together in one room is that the definition of theater and in a lot of ways maybe it is because it's it's you know you watch these recordings of plays and it's not the same they're terrible they look like i mean they're just they're awful <laughs> well that's that's because plays are not meant to be that's that, that was another thing that i was going to say actually plays are not meant to be videotaped plays are for your first party experience where you're sitting in that yeah. chair whereas whereas tv's meant to be filmed like tv you're, you know misha you're talking about being on a film set and i've been on film sets too and i've been on television sets and you're right like it is it is a it is a cruise medium it is a and and what and and while the actor's performance is is super key and critical, you can't have a TV show without like some without a solid cast. Um, at the same time, it really is like about lighting, camera angles, where the boom microphone is. Um, it's the, the it's quality all of the it's so much about that, and it's and it's so much about the text. So I would almost say that I have two reasons for saying that television does not qualify as pure art. I'm not saying it's not art. I'm saying it's not pure art. Number one. You have the intermediary camera, which you don't have in theater. Theater, even if you go back to the Greek amphitheater, you're sitting on a piece of stone watching on this amphith- on this curved stage, right? These, these actors, and they have the big masks, and that's like art in its pure form, or Shakespeare. Yeah. I would consider Shakespeare to be art in its pure form. But then as soon as you get a camera in front of it, as soon as you have advertising dollars and sponsors and, and, and product placement, I think it starts to contaminate um, things and it starts to move it away from art. And one thing, one thing before I move on to, you know, and, and give the stage back to you guys would be, you know, I work in market research. So I see, and, and, and having, you know, previous to working in market research, I worked at a TV station, but in advertiser sort of relations, you know, talking to the advertisers, making sure they're happy. And it's all about audience. It's about numbers. It's about science, right? Like market research, all that stuff is about, is a science, right? So it's about who can we sell this candy bar to, this bottle of Coke or these diapers to, who, you know, who's going to be watching this show at this time or streaming it at this time, or who's going to be our target demographic that we're for this podcast or for this show and what can we sell them? That's, that's what I, that's what I think about television. So I'm not saying it's not an art. I just don't think it's a pure art form in the way that, say an indie film or an art or an art film right. or maybe uh, or a Shakespearean play might be. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to pose the next question to you guys and I'll give a little bit of my background first, just shortly. I started doing this when I was 11 in musicals at Burlington Student Theater where Andrew and I met yes. a little suburb in Ontario doing yes. theater. And 
the moment I wanted to do it, I was 16 years old. I was in a production of Jane Eyre, the musical, which yes. actually Andrew was, you were, were you running lighting for that show? I was the lighting guy for that one. Yes. Yes, um, you have a good memory. I'm impressed you remember that, man. There you, you go. Star, you were the star of that show and you remembered a little lighting guy like me. <laughs> but I remember, you know, based off of a very famous novel by Charlotte Bronte, Jane Eyre. And yeah. I remember that experience. And I was just like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I'll answer the question first that I'm going to pose to you guys. But we all started off in this profession young. And when we wanted to do it, it seems like we were all teenagers. What were your hopes, dreams, and more important, importantly, expectations of this profession when you first mm. started out? So when I first started out, I'll never forget, I'm 15, 16 years old, and I'm thinking, you know, you're an actor, you know, I'll, I'll go to Hollywood, and I kind of want to have like an Arnold Schwarzenegger career at first. I'd love to like be in some action movies, do some cool action movies, and I'm not going to charge very much. I don't want to be a greedy actor. Like, I only want to <laughs> make maybe like five, eight million dollars a film. That's it. That's it. I don't want to make any more than that. Uh, and then after I do my action star phase, then I'll do like my my like important work, kind of like George Clooney does. And then I'll only charge like a mil max per oh, okay. film. Not much, not much. Yeah, not much, right. And <laughs> I only say that because it's amazing now being 32 and when we'll get to how our perspectives are totally, totally different. But that was my, and I just thought that's what you did as an actor. You went to Hollywood and you started getting paid these huge salaries, right? That is not the case because if that was the case, everybody would do it. Everyone would do it. But those were my expectations. And I'll talk about a little later on how those expectations changed because then when I graduated my undergrad, then I was like, yeah, that's not how it's done. I just want to be a working actor. I want to make 40 to $60,000 a year just with acting dollars. And then I get a little bit older and I've been fortunate to be able to do that some years, but some years I have to supplement it with maybe teaching drama or even other things that I call Joe jobs. Right. And now my mindset has kind of shifted to, okay, um, how do I do the art that I want to do? And when I'm not working, what other things can I do that I still enjoy that I can get by? But before we delve too much into that, I'm going to go to you, Jake, first. What were your dreams and your expectations when you first started doing this as a, as a teenager, maybe going to your college acting program? You're on mute. Oh, you there, Jake? You're muted. There you go. Oh, now is that better? There you go. Okay. Uh, my expert—that's like a really humbling question, you know. <laughs> what what did I expect, and what is actually happening? Okay, so when I left New York from this tiny town in Colorado uh, that I grew up in, um, I set out to be the next Madonna. I thought it was going to be <laughs> like this fucking super star, hot shit. Get the fuck out of my way. I do not know. <laughs> That's definitely not what happened. And then, you know, so that expectation was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be so talented. And everyone's going to love me because I'm talented and they're just going to love me and it's going to want me. <laughs> and and uh, then, then when I started getting into like, really into acting uh, um, here in Colorado and and being intrinsically involved with the theater company. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be Madonna. I'm gonna be Meryl Streep. <laughs> and, and that's because I was like, you know, researching, you know, like how do you become a better actor? How do you become like a really well-respected actor? And I saw all these people, classically trained actors, they go and they get their MFA. And Meryl Streep went to Yale. And so that was my next goal. I was like, I'm going to get into Yale drama. And uh, I, I just want, suddenly then wanted to be like the best actor. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just classically trained, not, a, not an entertainment celebrity star person. I wanted to be famous for just being incredible at what I did. So I, uh, that's where my um, dream of getting an MFA came in. And uh, so I went and I auditioned after, after my undergrad program, I went and auditioned 
and did not get a call back for Yale. Go figure. Oh. <laughs> um, I was devastated, of course, but I kept, I went on and I kept auditioning that day and it was a two-day process to audition for like, you know, 50 different programs. Um, and in that process, I got called back for the University of Houston. And at first I was like, who the fuck is the University of Houston? <laughs> Houston? Who the fuck would go to Houston? And uh, I had no idea. And then I met our, our mentor, Jack Young, and he was insane. Yeah. He was, he changed. And I think that he gets told his love, but he changed my life and my, my perspective on, on acting and, and gave me all the good stuff, all in that one like 20 minute callback. Uh, it just floored me how much he knew and how much he could pull out of me. And so that's why I went there. And my expectation from there was to immediately, oh, I make all these contacts in grad school. They know all the people. And like, you're just, okay, that's it. Your career is made. <laughs> you're ready to go. Like, it's going to all work out now. And lo and behold, that did not happen either. Um, uh, so it's it's it was like the most enriching experience of my life but it also uh kind of like it's my expectation now after all that is is really i don't know i don't know if i have an expectation and that's totally um, fair totally yeah fair. um so it went from it went from a very lofty idea to something it's more my expectation now is that if I want to make that art form part of my life uh, or find success in it, it, the success is measured completely differently. Truly, it's, it's measured completely differently yep. than accolades. Based. So it's, it's funny, before I throw it over to Andrew, Jake, we kind of had similar expectations when we first started off. We just thought we would become these kind of big important star oh, yeah like right? how easy like yeah good. yeah that's fine like oh, luck has nothing to do with it or you know and or those people have different different goals for whatever reasons too well before i throw it over to andrew i, I, I will say this and uh, now that i've done an, an undergraduate program and a graduate program uh, i'm reminded about what the actor bruce campbell said and i live by this quote because i think it's so true he said being a good actor isn't the hard part. It's not hard at all. The hard part is putting food on the table as an actor. And I went, well, right. That is so true because at, at school, all they do, they teach you how to act good, if you will, but they never teach you how to make a living as an actor. And well, if, I, if I had a dream to be a dean of a program, I would really emphasize how to go about doing that. Anyway, sorry, Jake, you had something to say on that? Well, yes, I am going to disagree with you. I think that it's it's not easy to be a good actor. I think some people it comes naturally too, but to be a trained technical, like have all that technique and your under your belt, it's not easy. And I think that you and I both can speak to that because we went to a program that was very tech, like how to be a technically trained yeah. classical classical actor. I don't think that's easy. I think it's hard to be a good actor, but I think I think it's hard to be a good enough actor that you can keep going and be keep getting hired and yeah the business yeah. is the business is a, you know a bitch <laughs> what, I, what i will say uh, I, i'm gonna change what i said like obviously it takes talent and skill and, and hard work it, it's not uh, easy to be a good actor but i do think it's harder to make a living every year fifty sixty thousand dollars a year by just acting, and I don't mean oh supplementing by, yeah. by, by teaching, <laughs> nothing. I mean just acting yeah. dollars. I pay my mortgage, my car loans, all that stuff with just acting dollars. That is way harder than just being a great actor. Anyway, so sorry, yeah, that's Andrew, successful. Yeah, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, like if that, like if you can do that every single year. Yeah, that be that's success. That's good. Uh, Andrew, what were your kind of dreams, expectations when you were starting off as a late teenager? Um, yeah, thank, thank you for that. And thank you guys for your stories. I mean, the more I hear from both of you, the more I'm just, you know, you know, really impressed with, with how far you guys have come and, and, and sort of sticking to it and, and kind of, as you said, Misha, you know, putting that food on the table, which I know is harder than it, it, it sounds when everyone thinks about this glamorous life of being an actor and then you actually have to make it happen. For me, it was more the behind the scenes. Um, as mentioned, I did do the theater training 
program with you at Student Theater, which is pretty intense for a 14, 15, 16 year old. But at that time, I knew that I didn't want to be in, on stage or in front of the camera. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed acting. I enjoyed auditions. I enjoyed, even though I couldn't dance, like I enjoyed the whole musical theater thing, a lot of fun. But I knew that I wanted to be behind the scenes. Um, I've owned a camera since I was, you know, 13. You know, my actually younger than that. I remember my dad bought me a video camera from a garage sale. Um, when I was about nine or 10 and my brother was around eight years old and we would make these like little home movies because um, my brother was a little, you know, into film and stuff as well. My brother, as you know, um, Robin, because um, you guys grew up together at student theater as well, Misha. And so Robin actually pursued a, a film degree. So he and I both went in for, for media related programs. And I remember that first video camera, it was so ghetto that it wasn't even like an over the shoulder VHS tape. It was like, you had, you had your over the shoulder camera, but then you, in order to have like the, the playback and the recording, you had to have a separate VCR to record into. And you had, there was a cable. So you, in order to walk around with this thing, you actually had to have like a backpack. And so you yeah. had the over the shoulder video camera and then the actual tape was in its own separate two recording devices, okay? It was old school, man. It was old school. And I remember having that camera and it did, it kind of fell apart because it was used anyway, right? And then I got a digital camera when I was 13. I remember doing a video of my grandfather doing our, our um, family history from when he moved here from, from the Ukraine and all that sort of, well, I guess his family moved here from the Ukraine and doing like a little mini documentary. And then as I grew up, you know, I, I started making like little films at school and stuff like that. Um, got into Ryerson. I had my head set on being an, on, on being a director and a screenwriter. I wanted to write my own stuff. I wanted to direct my own stuff, produce my own stuff, act in my own stuff. And you know, I had so you a wanted to be Quentin Tarantino. What's that? You wanted to be Quentin Tarantino. I, wanted, I did. I wanted to be Quentin Tarantino in the in the uh, independent art world. And and I think I think as as someone who's seventeen and applying for school. And my mom, you know, it's funny, my mom even pulled me aside when we were looking at Mohawk College, Sheridan College, you know, all these, Ryerson, these different programs. She said, Andrew, you know, you know, camera operators only make like $16, $17 an hour. Uh, and, but, but being this bright-eyed, you know, enthusiastic filmmaker, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't listen to my mom, right? Like, and so I went through this program and I spent four years in Toronto and I did the internships and, and, you know, worked in the studio and this and that. I had my first job, which out of school I got, I was very fortunate. I had an internship at CBC and Jake, I don't know if you know CBC because you're American, but it's like, it's like the CBS of Canada. It's like a news network, right? So yep. and it's the national news. Um, yeah. media network of, of uh, Canada. So I was very lucky to be in a, at a fantastic company, CBC. And at that point, I thought, you know, world's my oyster. I, I've done this degree program. I've, I've interned. I've done all this stuff. And then your dreams kind of get crushed a little bit. And I don't know. I, I'm sure it's even worse for you guys because you're in front of the camera or on stage because I know it's fiercely competitive, fiercely competitive being an actor. But it's it's still pretty competitive being a behind the scenes person, whether that's a videotape operator, camera person, you know, lighting person, all that is competitive as well. And when I saw, you know, the first couple of years, like what, what the paychecks were amounting to, I'm like, and then reality hits it, set in, not only how fucking competitive is it, it is just to get like an entry level, you know, internship or whatever, paid or unpaid. Um, and then I just realized, yeah, just the nature of the beast, how competitive it is, how fierce it is. And, and like, you're probably not going to be a Quentin Tarantino or a Steven Spielberg or a James Cameron like that. That's not the cards for a lot of us. So reality started to hit in, set in a little bit when I was maybe 22, 23, getting out of school. Wow. That's, so, that's a nice age. It took me until I was like 35. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> to realize. Very young. To real, yeah. And like, not, not that I would know what you're talking about. So I'm assuming that's what happens when you're 35, right? Um, no, no, no. But it, yeah, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, your success as a as an artist or an actor isn't it, that external validation that plays such a key role in your success. 
um, is something that you have to, it's a personal journey. And so your success is measured on, on how you, you know, do you, do you believe in what you're doing and do you feel like it's, it's worth it? Do you feel like motivated to keep going? Do you feel like it's having an impact? You know, I think it's just, it becomes so much deeper yeah. as you get older. Um, that's a really good point, guys. So that, that leads me actually to my third question now. Andrew touched on it a little bit. So we talked a little bit about where we started. And now all these years later, where are we in our lives with art now? How do we kind of feel about it now? Are we jaded? Are we still pursuing it full-time, maybe part-time, not at all? Um, what have we learned in these past 15 years? And basically, how do we feel about art now. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about it first. Um, uh, I've been teaching a lot during this pandemic, teaching drama online via Zoom. And that's kind of how I've been making ends meet. And I had a wonderful conversation with one of my professors. I won't say his name um, about four or five months ago. And he said, Misha, those who do, do. Those who can't do, teach. And, and I, I started thinking, oh, my God, you guys have heard that saying, like, oh, a yeah, lot, yeah, right? yeah. You hear it all the time. Yeah, and I started that's thinking, bullshit. And I started thinking to myself, I agree with Jake, and I don't at the same time, because here's, here's why. He started saying to me, listen to me, Misha, there are a lot of professors, teachers out there that that's what they were born to do. That was their calling. Their calling was to teach, and great. But he said, I'm going to tell you, though, Misha, 80% of them are just, they chose that route for stability. I'll be honest with you. They chose it for stability. And I started thinking about it. And I was like, my God, why am I like, I like teaching acting, but I don't love it as much as performing. And so I started thinking, and I started thinking about all of my wonderful professors. And again, I was like, I totally know this professor is doing it because that was her calling. I totally know this professor is doing it they like it, but they're doing it because that was, it was just more stable. They were getting their paycheck every two weeks, benefits, all those kinds of things. So how I feel the, you always get asked the question, what advice would you give to the younger generation? And if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, Misha, don't change anything. Go for it. Go for it. Because it's better to go for it than to not go for it and live a whole life of regret like, man, maybe I could have been Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, right? I could have done that. But what I would have said to myself in my undergrad, you know what? Whether you get out at 21 or 22, what's the difference? Take another year and do a minor in something else, right? So do your acting program. But if it takes you five years, so you finish at 22 and not 21, what's the difference? The world isn't going to go anywhere. So I would have loved to have done my undergrad and, grad and, uh, and graduated with a minor in something else as well. So my advice for young people, you always hear about the, the backup plan. Oh, have a backup plan, have a backup plan. And when I was younger, I never believed in that. I'm like, no, go full force into it. But now that I'm a little older, I go, you know what? Maybe if, if you work hard, you can pursue your art full-time and have your backup plan. I do think that's possible. So uh, my where I'm at right now in my life, I still do my art and I still get paid for it. Uh, I don't go to every audition anymore. I select the ones that I find interesting because I've learned if I don't do that soda commercial, sure, it might pay well, but it's not going to do anything for my career right? Unless you get on a commercial where you're like, you're a big brand and you do a series of those commercials, like the old Spice guy, you know, like, hello, ladies, look at your man. Now look at me. Now back to me like that guy. Right. But that's one in a million commercials. So I love that. That's your example. Misha. I know. It's so, it's so <laughs> fitting. So I still, I still do my work and I find other supplements of things that I, I like. But my advice is to still go for it. But it does get harder as you get older because you are willing to tolerate less. Like auditioning uh, sucks, right? It's a lot of the times you don't even hand in your resume. They know nothing about you. And it's like, okay, here are my two lines. Let's see if I can get this. But those are my kind of brief thoughts. We'll elaborate a little bit more, but I'll throw it over to you first, Jake. Kind of tell us a little bit about how you feel about the business now yeah well i mean i think i've, I've said some of that but um 
you know, I jaded, uh huh, but <laughs> it's, uh, I think, I mean, that's my natural disposition. Uh, <laughs> that's part of the reason why I keep doing it is because I, I keep seeking enlightenment through this art form because I've had it before, because that's why, that's why I, that's the real hook of it is that I've learned more about myself and my relationships to other people through this art form. And part of that's building community of, um, through my relationships working with other artists. Um, and uh, I don't know, um, kind of lost my train of thought. Um, I feel, well, after this pandemic, and living that life of not of being an actor, but not really having work and yeah. uh, having taught a little bit, doing some workshops, doing some guest artist stuff in some universities. And um, it's great. I, I like, I, like you said, I love teaching, um, but it doesn't fulfill my soul the way working on a project does. Thank you. And that's all I um, want to say. My rant, yeah. I just wasn't putting, I, again, I've had wonderful professors, but when he told me like, listen, Misha, 80% of us, more, most of us just do it. We love it, but we chose that route just for stability. Right. So uh, that's why, like when I teach, I like it, but it doesn't fulfill my heart and mind fully. Like, right. Actually. Sorry, Jay. Right. No, 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 no. I just, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, I do think that people, I, I don't agree with the whole if you teach, you can't do it. I mean, because if you can't do it, then you shouldn't be teaching. I don't want to learn from you. You know, like, get out of here. Um, I, but I, I definitely agree that people do it for stability because lives change and prior priorities change. And if I had, you know, like, like a, like a family, <laughs> like if I had kids and a partner and all that, like it would totally be different. I'd be responsible to other people. Yeah. Um, I do, uh, but. At the same time, I do, as I get older, appreciate that stability of not only knowing where the paycheck is coming from, but like having a life that's outside of, of the hustle. You know, yes. I think that we all have experienced that. Like it is a hustle. It doesn't matter what side you're on, in front of the camera, behind the camera, whatever. Uh, running a theater company is, it's, it wears you down because that's, that's really what you dedicate every, every waking moment to. And um, I am now at a point where my goals for this have changed and that I want to create my own stuff and I want to get into a leadership position with a company, you know, an artistic leadership yeah. um, so that I can act, but like we can actually, I can be involved on a deeper level of creating whatever that thing is um, and not because I, I hate being told what to do. It, it really makes it hard <laughs> to, like, to, to go out and audition. I do. Um, and, but it, it also gives me a, a drive to, to make what I do unique to, for myself. And, and it's driving me to, to kind of find out a new way to live as an artist, as an actor. Yeah. And a new way to be impactful, a new way to affect community and a new way to build relationships that are that are much more lasting and important. Absolutely. Before I throw it over to Andrew, I will just say what I've learned is when I was younger, I thought, you know, if you didn't make your 50K a year as an actor and you found any kind of supplement, I was a failure. I didn't make it. But now as I get older in my early 30s, I start, I start to realize there are so many ways to be a successful artist and that is idiosyncratic to me, right? Um, you know, you don't have to be getting paid a certain amount of money to be considered successful as an actor for the, for the longest time. For me, I hate to say it, that's what it was. It was like, if I don't make this amount this year as an actor, wasn't a good year, right? But now I look at it and now it's more about doing fulfilling work because in your 20s, you, you audition for a lot of that crap a lot of that crap that you don't want to do, but you think you need it for exposure or whatever. And then you get a little bit older and you realize you don't. So I'm with Jake. I'm all about doing more work that fulfill, fulfills me. Obviously, if it pays well, that's, that's terrific. But I look more for fulfilling work or fun 
work. And that's what's important to me. But Jake made a good point. As you get older, I'm in a very serious, committed relationship now living over here in Ireland. And your priorities change a little bit mm -hmm. as you get older. Mm -hmm. It's like, my God, I have to make these payments now. I have to help out with this. What happens if there's maybe a kid in the future? Like, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> if the, I, I need that paycheck every two weeks, if, 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 if that happens or things like that. So um, your perspective changes. And, you know, if we do another episode like this in 10 years, it would be interesting to rediscover how we feel about the arts in our 40s. But anyway, Andrew, I'll throw it over to you. And how do you feel now? Because tell us a little bit about, because now you're not doing it quite as much, oh, but tell us where you are now and how oh, you feel. I, I'm going to do, I have two things because you guys, again, have made some very profound points. So I, first of all, just want to say, I am very inspired by both of you because you've both been on uh, journeys that have led you to just keep moving forward, no matter what obstacles and what challenges, what, you know, people saying no, because I know whether it's sales, marketing, uh, behind the camera, in front of the camera, one of the main things you're going to notice in this in this multimedia industry is there's a lot of fucking rejection, and yeah. I've seen that on the actor side, but also on the behind the scenes and the and the sort of commercial advertising side, a lot of people are going to say no before you get a yes. And so, first of all, kudos to you guys for continuing on your journey. Um, props because I'm the, you know I'm I'm you know, inspired by, by both of the journeys that you guys have been on. Um, two things I want to touch on. Number one, if we go back to our financial episode that we did on personal finances with Alex uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago, about a month ago, um, which we'll post shortly on the, on the feed. I want to just to, to really just briefly touch on what I call the artist tax. Um, it's not an actual tax, but it's, it's kind of like what Alex and I were talking about last time around unpaid internships where you want exposure. And, and, and I think a lot of these companies, whether it's a small ad agency or a small boutique theater, forget that exposure doesn't pay the bills. So something that I've seen, not only in your industry in the, in the acting, but even in like my industry, which is advertising and media, um, a lot of unpaid internships where the only thing you're getting is something on your resume. You can't eat, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, put gas in your car from exposure, first of all. So I think, and, and even if you do get a gig, because there's so much competition, um, not only, as I mentioned, in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well, again, whether it's an ad agency or, or an independent uh, TV company, whatever, there's so much competition to be an editor, a journalist, a videographer, a cameraman. Um, because there's so much competition, even if you get past that unpaid internship stage, the pay is pretty shit. And I'm talking like 35K to 40K in Toronto, which Toronto, Toronto and Vancouver, um, they may not be New York, but they still have pretty fucking high cost of living. We talked about cost of Any living. Any major city in any country. Oh, basically. for sure, for sure. And Toronto's real estate prices have skyrocketed. So I guess part one of my comment was just to say, um, no matter what role you're working in, in the arts or in the media, you're going to pay that tax. You're not going to get paid for the, for the truly for what you're worth because there's just so much competition and because it's a fun environment and because people, because there's lights and cameras and glitz and glam and, and, and the spotlights on you, you're, you're, you're not getting paid as well as you could. Um, you're, you're getting, you're paying the, um, the artist tax, number one. Number two, like Jake said, um, and like you said, Misha, things change and people's perspectives and people's needs change, right? Like I have a fiance. I was supposed to get married last year, but didn't get married because of the pandemic. So we, we took some of those funds from the wedding and reinvested, you know, reinvested that. Um, we actually bought our first townhouse um, a couple months ago. We just bought our yeah. first car. And let me tell you, with her not working right now due to the pandemic, I'm the one putting, you know, with the, with the solid paycheck, putting the money on, you know, bringing home the money for the most part. Um, she does get some subsidy, but I'm the one making the paychecks right now. And television wasn't going to cut it, man. Like TV was just not going to cut it. I stuck it out for 10 years working desk jobs at big corporate television 
and at and at independent um, TV stations. I worked at even two years ago. I was working in TV, and the money just isn't there. And so I had to pivot. And I, I went back to school. I took some marketing courses. I took some Google certifications. I took some advertising courses. And I've had to pivot because um, I've, I've had, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, having a second career, there's nothing wrong with that. Upskilling, going back to school, having new um, skill sets, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you have to sacrifice the art and put it on the side. Like I, you know, I, I love, right? I mean, I like writing. I like, um, doing improv classes. I've done numerous improv classes. I've gone to the odd audition here or there, and I'm doing this podcast with you guys now. So for me, I think it's about having my nine to five solid paycheck, working in market research and, and loving that. And then keeping some of the art on the side, because for me, it's just the level of competition and the fact that a lot of us are not going to make the money that we need to live in these expensive cities if we choose to um, go through with a life in the arts. And as bitter and as jaded as this sounds, that's just my reality. And that's my experience. No, so you totally have done the, you know, you have your full-time job and now you do uh, art in your own way, on your own time. And that fulfills your artistic side, which a lot exactly. of artists, that's what I've learned too. Like you don't, you don't have to be a full, full-time artist. There's so many ways you can do your art, but uh, before we wrap this up guys, so I'll throw it out to both of you for any final comments. If you want to say anything, maybe any advice, that's always a good question. Cause my answer changes every year on what advice would you give the young generation? I told my piece uh, uh, a little bit, but Jake, do you, what would you say to someone trying to, hey, I want to be an actor? What would you say to them? <laughs> it's always a... To uh, really dig deep and, and understand why you're doing it. Um, uh, because that's what you have to make your goal. Um, with, if you are, like I have spent a lot of years being kind of uncertain why I want to do it. Um, I think the faster that you can really get to know yourself, the faster that you can, you understand who you are as an artist. And if that goal is to like go out and make movies and be the superstar. Okay. Um, but really understand why you want that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like we've been like, it is taxing in so many ways. Like you said, um, there's a lot of prices you have to pay and there's a lot of sacrifice you have to make. Um as with anything, but especially in this in this field, it's not going to come. I mean, very very slim chance that it's going to just happen overnight, and you're going to be a millionaire. Um, it, it really doesn't work like that. Um, so, I think if you really understand why you love it and you can't live without it, uh, pursue it. And do it with as you know all your all the might that you have. Pursue it, um, but just understand that that it's not um, it's not easy. <laughs> it's it's not, and it's not we'll it, success is going to come from that hard work. Because if it was just easy, it wouldn't mean much. Yeah. So that's that's what I would. Nice. And then Andrew, what would uh, your advice would be like, you know, if you, if, if you had your son or daughter come mm. up to you at 17, mm. dad, I want to be an actor or I want to be a painter. Mm. What's your advice, dad? What do you say? I That's love that because we're actually, I mean, something down the line is we're very serious in the next year or so about having our, our child. I mean, and, and, and all the things that go with it, the marriage, we, we already have the house. So I'm in that stage now. Like I'm also 35, and 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 and, and as I said, things have shifted a little bit. And and for me, something that I've talked about my, with my fiance is to be brutally honest. I would say, you know what? Pursue it if you if you want to play the violin, go all in. Especially as you say, Jake, like go all in, right? Like it's all about going all in. So if you want to be a pianist, a violinist, if you want to be a painter or a mime, like go all in. Um, but understand the sacrifices, understand the level of competition, 
understand, I hate to say it, but the realities around money. And, and if I have to be brutally honest, if I know that my son or daughter is like a protege, like this, this next, like, like, you know, Steven Spielberg or whatever, then I'm going to, I'm going to put myself behind myself behind them and encourage them to do that for their career. But if they're mediocre, I'm going to like maybe point them to an accounting program or to a marketing program. I'm not joking. I'm not fucking joking. I am, <laughs> well, I that's hilarious. You're like, if my kid is great, go for it. But if they're like, they suck or are mediocre, like, y'all, man, go be a lawyer. I don't want them to have pain. I don't want them to have the pain of rejection that I yeah. felt in certain ways when I was applying for these unpaid internships and all this shit. I know it sounds horrible and jaded, but like, if they're not, if they're anything less than a fucking mastermind like artist like i'm probably gonna make them lean a little maybe a little bit more towards business school you know and as horrible as that sounds i think i think my thoughts are grounded in reality and i think you if for me what's really worked is pursuing my marketing career and advertising career but then doing my artistic stuff on the side but that's me yeah no that's totally fair i think a lot of people would give that kind of advice and that that's kind of what i said as well like pursue it but son please have a minor in something when you go yes to- have a backup it's like it's like in sports when and it never hurts to have a backup right like it never hurts to go back to school or as you said earlier like having that minor so like a lot of sports stars will like have other degrees so when they because you can only play baseball so long and then like your shoulder's going to go bad or you can only be a sprinter for so long and then your kneecaps are going to give so at some point you have to have that backup degree as well another right. strong piece of advice sure awesome all right guys good good stuff so that was our episode on the arts thank you so much for joining us as always please like subscribe tell your friends about the lockdown lowdown please visit the facebook page give us a big like uh if you have any videos you'd like you know you can always find us on facebook and dm us thank you so much for watching and as always thank you for listening to lockdown lowdown we will see you next time